We're starting a brand new series today called Circle It. Circle It. And um, many times we start the year, uh, new year, with a series about how we can um, better our lives, how we can start over, and how we can change things, and how this year can be different from every other year in the past. And most of the time, we focus on things that we as people can change about ourselves, right? We make resolutions about exercising more. We make resolutions about eating better. We make resolutions about spending less time doing certain things like watching television or on social media so that we can establish better relationships and have better health and get more out of life. Um, And this year, instead of focusing on what we can do to better ourselves and change ourselves and fix ourselves, um, I'm going to ask us as a church to focus on one simple thing that I think has the potential to change more in us than we could ever change on our own, and that's an approach to prayer that can radically change our lives. Now, some of you are excited about a new year and new possibilities, and I just said prayer, and your balloon just got deflated because you're not a fan of prayer, meaning that either A, you don't really know how to pray or what prayer looks like, or B, you don't really feel like your prayers are effective. You've heard of people who pray a lot. We call them prayer warriors, and you tend to go to them and ask them to pray for your needs, but you don't have a confidence in prayer because some reason, for some reason, you've never connected with the potential that prayer has in our lives. And today, today, I hope that I can start us on a journey to start the year that's going to have an incredible impact, not only on our lives personally, but on the life of our church as a whole. So with that being said, uh, let's jump into the scripture in Mark chapter number nine. Mark chapter number nine. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't, we're going to have the scripture on the screen for you. Um, In this passage of scripture, Mark writes about a father who is desperate for change in his family, particularly in the life of his son. His son has um, a predicament that he's in that he's had for a while, and he is exhausted. He's ready for change in the life of his son, and he is crying out for help. And so we're going to pick up the story in Mark chapter 9, verse number 14. Mark says, when they came to the other disciples, Jesus being with some of his disciples, they're approaching the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So they see the disciples, the teachers of the law, they're arguing amongst one another. There's a commotion. They obviously sense that something is happening. Verse number 15, as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. So they're arguing amongst themselves, trying to figure out some certain situation. They see Jesus, and they run to Jesus because they know that he'll have an answer that suits them. Verse 16, what are you arguing with him about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. So of all the people there that day, the commotion, the arguing, Jesus shows up and this parent, this dad, speaks up from out of the crowd when Jesus asks what they're arguing about. And he says, I've brought you my son. There's a spirit that has possessed him and it's robbed him of his speech. Verse number 18, when it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Now, I want you to put yourself in the place of this father. I don't know what his family life looked like. I'm assuming there's a mom at home. Um, But this child, Matthew, describes this story as the son having epileptic fits. 
Uh, imagine life with a son who um, convulses on regular occasions, um, and it's so, so drastic that he foams at the mouth, he's thrown to the floor, he becomes rigid, and it's apparent to you that there's some spirit causing this, that it's, that it's a spiritual issue, that there's a demonic force that's causing this to happen in your son. Now, you're frustrated. You want the best for your son. Every time this happens, you're just in chaos mode. You want to fix it. You want to solve the issue with your son. I'm sure that this family has gone to doctors and they've been to uh, ask for help with anyone that they could find because who would want this condition for their son? But they've come to Jesus and they found his disciples and they've come to the disciples and described the situation and asked for the help, but the disciples could not drive out the spirit. In verse number 19, Jesus says, Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I wonder so many times how often we could be categorized as an unbelieving generation as a generation of people who have failed to see the impact that Jesus can have in the lives of others. And though we pray for things, though we try to have things happen, we don't see results that Jesus saw. And on one hand, Jesus was God, and he should see results that are different from us. But on the other hand, Jesus is frustrated with his disciples because they weren't at a place in life where they could help this father and his son. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Imagine this. Now there's people gathered around. They've had this commotion. It's attracted an audience, a crowd. Jesus comes and they all migrate to Jesus. And the father speaks up and said, I've got this son. He's got this issue. Can you help? Your disciples couldn't. And Jesus says, bring him to me. They bring him to him. And the, the evil spirit, the demon inside the boy, recognizes Jesus and immediately throws the boy into convulsions. He falls to the ground. He's foaming at the mouth. And you're looking on thinking, this is crazy. What's about to happen? And Jesus asks the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. This wasn't an overnight predicament. This hadn't just started. I'm assuming that this child is a preteen or a teenager, and from childhood, his family has been dealing with this situation. They've got this thing that, that they can't change, that they can't fix, that they've come to Jesus for help with, and they've carried this burden for a long, long time. Verse 23, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You know, it's bad enough for your child to be in convulsions. I know people have children who may be epileptic and you've seen your kids with seizures. And that's a scary, frightening thing. But to see your kid foaming at the mouth and becoming rigid is even scarier. But on top of that, this evil spirit attempts to throw your child into fire or water trying to kill your child. Can you imagine the type of life that you would live as that parent trying to constantly protect them from the dangers that this spirit could pose in their life? And you've, you're at your wit's end. You're drained. You have no more energy. You're tired. You're weary. You just want the situation to be resolved. You need help. This is a major, major deal in your life. 
And listen, they say, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And listen to what Jesus says. If you can, said Jesus. He says, everything is possible for him who believes. Like he asked Jesus, if you can help us. And Jesus like, if I can. He's like, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. You ever felt like that? Like, I believe, Jesus, that you can do something in this situation, but I've carried it so long, it's become like a part of our family. It's like a pet that I can't get rid of. It's like the stray animal that just keeps showing up, and as much as I try to get rid of it, I've lived life with this thing, with it, for far too long. And I just, I believe that you can do it, but I really wouldn't like to see it happen so that I can confirm that belief, because I still have a little bit of unbelief. So please help me with my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Dramatic situation here. Jesus has stepped in and spoken into the life of this little boy. And it is a crazy scene. People think that he's dead. What has happened? Imagine people looking on thinking he just commanded the demon to come out of this child and he just fell dead after he convulsed and shrieked. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. And you're looking at this as a father seeing Jesus do something in the life of your son that you for years and years could never do for him. We all have situations or circumstances in our lives that are outside of our control, okay? Confession time. I feel like sometimes I pray prayers that are simply like hopeful wishes, right? Like I've, I've got a situation or circumstance and I'm like, Jesus, it would be really nice if you could fix this. That's not what I say to him, but in my heart sometimes that's, that's what I believe, and I hope for the best, but I expect the worst. You ever heard that advice in life? Hope for the best, expect the worst. And I'm like, you know, if I have to live with this, this is what I'm going to do, and this is how I'm going to change, and this is how I'm going to react, and this is how I'm going to live my life. But I'm hoping that Jesus will just change all that, and I don't have to do those things. We all have it in our life. Those things that you can't fix on your own, those things that you can't change, those things that you can't make right things that exhaust you, the things that you cry about at night, the things that you go without sleep over, the things that cause you to be in pain in life. We have those things. I call those things it's for purpose of this series. For this father, it was a son who had a spirit that caused him to have convulsions and foam at the mouth, and it tried to kill him. For you, it may be a financial situation I'm not talking about the financial situation to where you haven't managed your finances well and you don't stick to a budget and you need a little help getting back on course. I'm talking about the financial thing that you can't fix just by getting a second job. I'm talking about you've got yourself, you, you found yourself in a situation that is disastrous and there's nothing that you can do to change it. I'm talking about the relationship that you're in right now that it doesn't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, it's just not going to be mended. It's happened for so long. The bitterness is so deep. The shame and guilt has been with you for so long that there is nothing that you can do by yourself 
to fix the situation. You've gotten a report from the doctors that a little exercise and a better diet isn't going to fix. It's beyond your control. You need help to overcome the situation. I don't know what it looks like for you. I have it's in my life. For this father, it was his son. Maybe for you, it's a relationship, it's finances, it's physical. But whatever it is, when we get to the point where we recognize that we can't change it on our own, when we get to the point where we're so exhausted and fed up with living with it, and we desire desperately for change, what do you do? What do you do with it? How do you go about getting it changed? And I want to look at the last two verses here for insight. Verse number 28. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? <laughs> like we saw it, the crowds were gathered, everybody, Jesus is the hero, but we, we tried to do that. Like we worked on that. Like we were telling the demon to come out just like you did, but it didn't happen. And listen to what Jesus says. He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And a lot of versions say by prayer and fasting. I don't think that he's talking here about an individual prayer that you pray in a situation. I don't think that he was telling his disciples, you didn't pray the correct prayer to get the evil spirit to leave this child. I think he's talking about a lifestyle. That there are moments in our lives that we have to commit to prayer and to fasting and seasons of our lives where we seek God so that he can do in our lives what only he can do in our lives when we're facing it that can't change. Several months back, back in October or November of last year, um, I came across a book. It's, it's not a brand new book. It's a book that's been out for several years, but it's called The Circle Maker. It's written by a pastor named Mark Batterson. Uh, he's in Washington, D.C. at a church called National Community Church, and it's a book about prayer. And I read this book, and as I started reading this book, God just kind of revolutionized this, this approach to prayer that I have and just caused me to become more passionate about seeing God do things for my its in life than I've seen in the past. I encourage you to get the book and read it. Uh, I'll just tell you there's a couple of things in the book that I don't particularly agree with, but to each his own. I don't think it's anything that will mislead you as a follower of Christ. In fact, I think it's something that will help you and encourage you in your prayer life in Christ. But as I was reading this book, he opened this book by sharing the story of a man named Honey. Now, I want to share that story with you. Honey, um, he read about this in a book called The Book of Legends. It was a collection of writings not found in Scripture, but passed down from generation to generation by Jewish rabbis. Uh, they were found in the Talmud and the Madrish, which were ancient Jewish writings, and they've been passed down from generation to generation. And he came across this story in this book from ancient rabbis that have passed down the story of a man named Honey. Now, Honey lived in the first century, the generation before Jesus, and he lived in a time where there was an extreme drought in the land. In fact, there was a generation of children and teenagers that had never seen rain in their land before. Now, note that this is the period of time between the Old Testament and New Testament where the prophets in the Old Testament have all died off and there's no prophet speaking God's voice to his people. And so it seems as if God is silent during this time period and the people haven't heard from God. There's a physical drought in the land. They haven't seen rain. And literally, a generation is about to pass away. It's so severe 
in the area of Israel uh, that they don't know how they're going to go about making it. It had gotten so bad because of the lack of rain. And this sage, this man that lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, gathered a group of people together. And there in front of them, he took his staff and he put it to the ground. And like a compass in math, he began to spin, drawing a circle in the ground. And once he had drawn this circle in the ground, he dropped to his knees and he prayed a simple prayer. Listen to the prayer that he prays. He prays, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. Now get this. <laughs> There's a group of people, right? There's a group of people. He's drawn a circle on the ground. He's on his knees in this circle. And he says, God, I swear before you that I will not leave this circle until you make it rain. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really pray a lot of prayers like that. Maybe you do, but that's the type of prayer that makes you vulnerable, right? That's the type of prayer that's public, that people hear you pray, that people see you pray, that might not end so well. In fact, there's a group of people looking on at this man kneeling in a circle on the ground saying, I'm not leaving this circle until it rains, that's never seen rain before. They've only heard of rain. And they're wondering, what has this man gotten himself into? And his passion and his fervor and his approach to the Lord caused the people to look up and see tiny raindrops begin to fall from the sky. And you can imagine the excitement of the people who hadn't seen rain through this whole season for years. And kids began to like dance in the rain and people were celebrating. And Honey is still kneeling in his circle. And it's a light, light, light sprinkle. And he begins to, he continues to pray. And he says, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. And all of the people that are dancing in the sprinkling begin to experience this torrential downpour. It's recorded in this book that drops, raindrops were no smaller than the size of eggs. I mean, the bottom fell out of it, something changed in the sky, and rain flooded this area. It got so flooded that people began to run to higher ground taking cover because they thought that they were going to be wiped away. And Honey, still kneeling in his circle, continues praying. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And all of a sudden, like a warm August afternoon shower, this peaceful rain began to fall on the land. And it replenished the land. And it refreshed the land. And people began to soak in the rain of God's blessing on their life. And forever this man would be remembered by his boldness to draw a circle around a specific issue and approach God, not with an arrogant, demanding heart, but with an eager expectation and a conviction that God could still hear his people even when his people weren't hearing him during that season. Now, I began to ask myself this question as I'm reading this book. Uh, how many honey stories do I have? Like when I'm old and I'm talking to my kids and my grandkids about my life, what am I going to share that would compare to the prayer that Honey prayed? Because you got to think, he was a legend from that point. 
It's been talked about for thousands of years that people are saying there was this man that had such a conviction, he had such a belief in prayer that he approached God with such tenacity that God made it rain when it hadn't rained in years. What do you do with your it's when you're at the end of your self, when you've tried all you know to try, when you can't fix it on your own? I want to propose to you that you need to circle it. That when you're at the end of yourself and something's out of your control and you need change in your life, then you need to circle it with prayer. I want to leave you with a statement this morning. It's a statement that I came up with, so it's not going to be impressive, and uh, there's nothing special about it, but hopefully you can remember this statement, and this statement will help you in your approach to prayer that will keep you from seeing prayer as simply this hopeful wish that maybe God will do something, and maybe he'll bless me because I've heard he's blessed other people. And this is a statement. When prayer is your only option... Make prayer, when prayer is your only hope, make prayer your only option. When prayer is your only hope, make prayer your only option. Like when there's nothing you can do to change something, when there's nothing you can do to fix it, when there's nothing you can do to resolve it, the only hope that you have is that perhaps Jesus will do something in my life. When prayer is your only hope, make prayer your only option. Don't spend your time and energy worrying about it. Don't spend your time and energy talking about it and complaining about it and griping about it. Don't spend your energy and effort getting angry about it because it's not going to change anything. When prayer is your only hope, make prayer your only option and you commit to circling it with prayer because there is one that can change a situation. All things are possible to those that believe. I believe in this room, there are lots of it's represented. I don't know what your it is. I've got it's of my own that I'm committing this year to circling with prayer. Not prayers like, God, I hope that you'll do something in my life, but God, I am committing my life to praying and seeing you do something in my life. Because I want to be able to share the stories with my kids and with my friends and with generations that come after me that there is a God in heaven who hears our prayers and can move on our behalf and can do things in our lives. You know, Honey was criticized by the Pharisees and the Sadducees of that day. They said that the way he approached God and demanded that God move in his life was dishonoring to God. They chastised him and told him that the prayer that he prayed wasn't fit for a godly person. Yet they enjoyed the rain that came as a result of that prayer. And had he not had the approach that he had to believe God and firmly commit his life to praying for rain, chances are a generation would have died off before God ever sent rain. And I want to encourage you to pray bold, audacious prayers that cause people around you to sometimes even think you're crazy. I mean prayers that, that only God could answer and do in your life that will change things that you can't take credit for. Have you ever thought about a lot of the prayers that we pray 
honestly, a lot of the prayers we pray are so small in comparison to God's potential in our lives that we can't even really give God credit for answering those prayers. I mean, prayers that, prayers that like, we aren't sure that God has to answer. Like, just hopeful prayers, like, prayers that we should pray. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray them, but the extent of our prayer, sometimes the Lord help us have a safe trip and a safe drive, and we get there, and when we get out of the car and we arrive safely, we don't fall on our knees and say, God, thank you. You're the only reason I made it safe. We don't even think about it because the prayer that we prayed doesn't require committed faith for God to answer it. We just assume, like, God bless my trip, and that's great, and we take it for granted that he will. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray it. Pray it. We pray that every time we take a trip in the car. We pray, God, bless our food. And we get done eating, and we're not, we're not like, oh, God, if you had not blessed our food, like, I would be dead right now. Like, like it's just a, we just pray these little prayers. You know, God, help our kids have a good day. Good prayers. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray the prayers. But if that's the extent of our prayers, we are missing out on so much that God has potential to do in our lives. When prayer is your only hope, make prayer your only option. A couple of weeks ago, I had dinner with a friend named Brandon. Brandon attends our church. He's been here since July. Um, I had met him before. He moved overseas, ended up in Memphis. God brought him back uh, to this area. Uh, They started attending our church, got involved. Uh, Such a blessing to our church. Brandon's married with four small kids. Uh, He's got three girls and just has uh, been blessed with a little baby boy. And he sat over dinner with me at Anoka Express on the east side of Athens. And he just shared that for the last few years of his life, he's had such a passion and he's felt such a calling on his life to go into ministry and become a pastor specifically and work with teenagers, become a student pastor. And he just, he shared frustration with tears to me about how frustrated he was because he felt like that was such a distant thing. And and he was talking about career changes and should he stick with what he's doing now and figure things out. And he said, you know, I want to take steps that will get me toward where God wants me to be. And I just, I just said, man, I I believe that God has a calling on your life and I'll commit to praying with you. And I did. I did. There's nothing magical about what I prayed. But the truth is, he and his wife had been praying for years that God would open a door for them to enter into ministry. They've been praying for years. Uh, To make it all worse, when they left the church that they were a part of in Memphis, after they felt like God was leading them back here, that church offered them a job doing that. And they felt like that wasn't what God had for them, that God still called them to come here. And I was thankful I left that meeting and I was like trying to figure out, you know, how can we make a way, you know, to to bring him on staff. And, you know, he's such an asset to our family. Is there anything that we can do? And um, he he called me back again a few weeks later and he said, he said, you know, I want want to get together and have breakfast. I said, sure, man. We set up a date. We're going to go have breakfast. And I got off the phone and Lindsay says, you don't think they're going to leave the church, do you? And I was like, why do you think they're going to leave the church? They're not going to leave the church. He's just being, you know, he's, he's being like a go-getter. He's going, to, he's going to keep inviting me out until I give him a job or something, except we don't have any money to give him a job, so he's just going to have to keep doing that for a while. You know, he's just being persistent. So I went and I sat down with Brandon across the table, and tears in his eyes, he says, we're leaving Synergy. And I was shocked. I was shocked. 
seriously, man, why, why are you leaving Synergy? He said, I got offered a job as a student pastor at a church in Athens. It's a church that his wife grew up in. He hadn't been talking with the pastor. He hasn't put an application out or a resume out. He's not going around trying to find a job. He's just being patient. He's working as a teacher. He's got a side job uh, to help support his family. And this pastor hears that he's back in town and invites him out for a meeting. Here's his heart and says, I want to give you a job. And he calls me back. He says, I hate, I hate to leave Synergy, but God has opened the door. And I was blown away. I said, this is what we're praying for. You've been praying for this for years. You know, wipe those tears away. This is an awesome opportunity that God has opened up for you. What had he done? He had circled this for years with prayer. And when God's timing came through, God did something through him in his life that he couldn't do for himself. And I left there and I thought, even more, I was like, i got to start circling things more in prayer. God works. God does things in our lives. There are things in my life that I need to ask God to do. I need to have a different approach to prayer than just wishful hoping. And so I'm going to ask our church to commit the next 21 days, starting tomorrow, to a season of circling our lives with prayer. Now, you know what your it is, and so I'm going to ask you for the next 21 days specifically to circle it, whatever it is. I've got my it's, I'm going to be circling it. You've got your it's, you circle your it's. But let me share with you what our church it is. Some of you may be newer and you may not uh, know a little bit of where we are in the history of our church. Um, our church is uh, three years old, and um, we'll be three in January, actually. Uh, and for the last year or so, I've just had a heavy heart like our church needs to grow. We need to reach more people. We need to have a greater impact in this community. And there's been this frustration with the fact that we haven't grown like I wanted us to grow or I thought that we should grow. So last summer, I felt like God impressed upon me to start an initiative with a goal and to get up and share before the church that I want our church to double in a year. And I felt like many of you felt when I shared it with you, and some of you who haven't heard that before feel right now, that's a, that's a pretty big goal. And I'm looking back on it now, and I felt like I was kneeling in a circle in front of a group of people. And I was saying, God, we want our church to double in a year. Well, we're about halfway through that year. We've got just over four months till the end of that initiative, and our church has grown by about 11% in attendance. That's great, but if you're a mathematician, you know that if your church doubles, it's got to grow by 100%. And so we're a pretty good ways from that, and it seems like it's not going to happen. We've had some people get discouraged and feel like, you know, why are we doing some things that we're doing, trying to double this thing because it's not quite working. And I've honestly, I felt like I've been in a circle praying this bold prayer and asking God to do something on our behalf. And we had a couple of different approaches that we wanted to commit to, to helping our church double. A lot of it was establishing more leadership, and we added people on our volunteer staff. And uh, uh, one of the things was going to two worship experiences when obviously there's not a huge demand for us to make room for people, but we decided we would go to two worship experiences so that we could uh, handle all the people that God was going to send to us. And it was a step of faith. And it's just like we were drawing circles as I'm looking back on it now. And preparing for God to do something through us. But the thing that I'm realizing more and more is that the, the, the level of God's blessing on our church is going to be directly proportionate to the level of our commitment to prayer in this church. 
And I've known that, and you know that. You know that God's not just going to bless you randomly if you don't commit your lives to him. And he blesses us tremendously. We're extremely blessed as a church and a people. But if we want God to do some miraculous, dynamic, incredible things, we're going to we're gonna have to seek God in prayer. We have to commit to praying about it. It's not just going to happen. We're going to have to draw a circle. We're going to stand in that circle, and we're going to say, God, we're not leaving this circle until you bless us. And that's not, a, that's not a demand of God that he has to do what we want him to do. It's an approach that says, I'm going to become so vulnerable that I'm going to trust you and believe that you can do some incredible things in the life of our church, that I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm just going to tell the whole church, this is what we're after. And if we're an utter failure at the end of the year, then people can just laugh at us, but we're willing to take that risk because we believe that God can do that in our midst. And this passage of scripture came to mind this week. It's... Um, it's in Joel chapter number 1, verse 14. Um, this is the prophet Joel speaking to the children of Israel. And he says, Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. And so what we're going to do for the next 21 days is I'm going to call a season of prayer and fasting for our church. A season for 21 days starting tomorrow, ending on January the 28th, the fourth week of this series, to where we'll commit to circling Synergy Church, specifically that God would double our church in prayer. That we'll devote the next 21 days to circling whatever your it is and circling our church's it to see God do the miraculous. That we'll leave the circle one day and say, do you remember the time when God changed it and only he could have done it? You say, well, what's that look like? I've I've never heard of fasting, or I have heard of fasting, but I don't really understand it. And fasting is simply um, an opportunity to give up something you love, specifically physically, um, in pursuit of Christ, in pursuit of God. That you're denying your flesh so that you can seek God spiritually. Most times in Scripture, when we see fasting, it's fasting from food. Um, and so I'm going to ask us to consider over the next 21 days fasting from food if you feel like God has called you to that. My wife is pregnant with our third child. Uh, we're going to be having a baby girl in May, and um, she's not going to be fasting food, okay, because I want to meet my baby girl, and that would be healthy. And you may have health issues that may keep you from fasting food. I don't know what your situation or circumstance is. Uh, but you can fast anything that denies your flesh. Okay? Some people fast social media. Some people fast time from things like television or computer or video games or whatever it is that we spend our time entertaining or um, thriving our flesh on. And we deny ourselves those things in pursuit of Christ. And for 21 days, I'm going to ask us to think about what is it that we're going to commit to fasting for some of us, it'll, it'll be fasting food for 21 days. It'll be a difficult journey. For some of us, it'll, it'll be fasting one meal a day. You'll find one meal a day and say, I'm not going to eat this one meal for 21 days. And for some people, it's going to be fasting. You know, some, I've heard of some people that fast desserts or certain things. You fast how you feel called to fast. But deny yourself and commit to praying. Spend time circling it so that we can see God do some amazing things in the life of our church and in our lives personally. Every Wednesday night for the next three weeks, we're going to be meeting here at 6 o'clock at the rec department for prayer for an hour. It's three hours in 21 days 
by which we're going to gather together as a church to pray, and I would love to invite you to come and be a part of that. You say, I'm not really like the pray out loud type of person. I don't want people to hear my prayers. I'm not comfortable praying. Then you can come and just sit and pray silently. But join us corporately for a time of prayer by which we're devoting an hour each week for three weeks to circling Synergy Church and your needs in prayer. We'll have time in those meetings to pray specifically for you and your needs. Um, We'll pray specifically for the church, but it'll just be a time where we'll corporately fast and pray together in seeking God's blessing. Jesus said to his disciples, there are some things that come only by prayer and fasting. And it wasn't that his disciples didn't try to cast out demons. It wasn't that his disciples didn't try to change the situation. It was just that some things are only changed by prayer and fasting and the approach that we have in our hearts toward God and allowing him to bless our efforts. And so I'm going to ask us as a church to do that. Would you commit for the next 21 days to praying for Synergy Church to double? We've got some magnets. I think we still have some left that have specific prayer goals that you can take home and put on a refrigerator for the next 21 days. You can commit to praying specifically for those things. And then we want to be praying with you about what it is in your life that you want God to do. Make a list. Nothing's too small and nothing's too great. But dream big because Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. It's not bad to ask God for things. In fact, he can do way more than you can even ask or imagine. There's potential through prayer for God to do some incredible, incredible things in our life. And I can't wait to tell the stories and hear the stories of how prayer changed things. We're not focusing on fixing us and changing habits this new year. We're focusing on becoming more dependent on God and allowing him to do more in our lives and through our lives.